You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Our scripture today is uh, found in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the passage can be found in the Bibles which are available in the chairs in front of you on page 744. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretations of these things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. How are you? Good. Today is well, it's 82 degrees. 82 degrees as opposed to what? 43 degrees it was last Sunday. So that's pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty awesome. All right. So uh, there is a lot uh, to cover here. I'm gonna find my my sermon here. Um, so there's a lot to cover. Uh, two things before I even go there. Uh, I know it was announced during the announcements, but if you, are, if you have any questions about baptism, you're thinking about it, you think it might be a possibility, you're interested in it, sign up. That doesn't mean you're committing to being baptized. That just uh, provides us with your contact information so that I can have a conversation with you and just you know, see if that's something you want to pursue. And then for Meadowbrook 101, we have food. Uh, even though if you haven't signed up and you want to know more about Meadowbrook and what makes us tick and you know, why, why we exist, uh, Meadowbrook 101 is right after, uh, about 15 or 20 minutes after the, the service, and we'll feed you. We have food, all right? All right, so we're in this series in Daniel. Daniel, uh, we spent two weeks in Daniel chapter 7. While I was preaching last week, I thought, yeah, I want to... I just want to unpack why, why this mention of the people of God receiving the kingdom of God forever, forever, and ever, why that's a big deal, why it's, why it's repeated multiple times in Daniel chapter 7, why, uh, why Daniel chapter 7 is in the middle, literally in the middle of the book of Daniel. And so I'm going to just take two weeks to talk about why that's a big deal. I want to talk about heaven. I'm going to talk about heaven today. And I'm going to talk about heaven on earth next week. And uh, just that's the kingdom of God. And I'm just, just, we're just, uh, I'll have fun doing it. I hope, I hope it will be encouraging uh, to you as well. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 18, we're, we're given this promise. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. At the end of Daniel chapter 7, we're basically told the same thing. And, um, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's us. That's not just the Hebrew people who believe in Jesus. That's every person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's a, a New Testament equivalent passage to Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. It's 1 Peter chapter 1. It's one of my favorite passages that we've We've read it together here since I've, since I've come on to be your pastor. Um, but let's read this together 
Again, you ready? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. And so I don't know what beasts you're looking at. I don't know what it is that, that fills your heart with anxiety right now. But the reason why Daniel chapter 7 verse 18 is in the, in the Bible, the reason why verse 27 is in the Bible, is because this kingdom, this inheritance that belongs to the people of God, not by anything that we've done, but because of just the mercy and grace of God, is there to serve to quell our anxieties in light of what's coming. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms for you, or for many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, just to be totally transparent with you, I, uh, I had written my sermon without even thinking about that we're doing communion today, that we're celebrating communion today. So the, <laughs> there's a lot more that's in my manuscript than what I'm going to say today. I'm going to camp more on my second point, where, like, what is heaven like? Like now, like when you die and you're in heaven, what is that experience going to be like? I'm going to talk about that the majority of our time together. But before we get there, I, I, I don't know about you, but for me, after I became a Christian, I had some anxiety about, what will, my, will I be me in heaven? Like if the whole sin thing is done away with, and like who will I really be in heaven? I'm going to briefly talk about that before I talk about the culture of heaven. If you want to find out more about that, my manuscript will be available to download uh, sometime this early this week. You'll be able to, to, to read everything that I said in there. What I will say is this. Um, that aspect of what will we be like in heaven, I'm, I'm drawing a lot of what I feel about that, what I believe about that from the book of Revelation particularly chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. I read a book by Randy Alcorn titled Heaven. He gave like 40 observations from Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to give you six, um, but I'm just going to breeze through those. And so here's my first point. You will be a better version of yourself in heaven. You will not be the best version of yourself in heaven, but you will be a better version of yourself than you are now in heaven. Now, the best version of you in heaven, that's next sermon. That's next week's sermon. So, so let me just share some things that I learned from Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. First, the passage is on the screen. I'll, I'll just read through it really quickly. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow or their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed and uh, as they themselves had been. Now, if you remember, 
Spent two weeks in Daniel chapter 7. Last week I said, you know what? I mean, we, look, we see it in Daniel chapter 7. We're told that the beast and the Antichrist, like they will prevail over the people of God in a, in a physical sense. They will kill Christians. And so these are these Christians who have been killed. And uh, there, there are six things that I gleaned from this. One is that as soon as they died, they were in the presence of God. That's, our rea- that's your reality and my reality. The moment you breathe your last breath, you're not going to purgatory, you're not going into this thing called soul sleep, you are either going to be in the presence of God or you will, you will go, you, well, you'll definitely be in the presence of God, but that will result in either in heaven or hell. Okay? But that happens immediately. Second, uh, these saints were aware of their past life. <laughs> um, I said, Eric Clapton, you know, tears in heaven. He was theologically correct. There will be tears in heaven. We, this, when I read Revelation chapter 6, these Christians are grieving what had happened to them on planet Earth and are longing for God to vindicate them. That's here. This, this, these are disembodied spirits. This is not... A, this is not post-resurrection of, uh, you know, of, of Christians. This is, this is their experience. So they were aware of their past lives and the injustices that they experienced while on earth. Um, third, these saints are conscious of, of the presence of evil. They're, they're aware that there's evil in the world. And, um, and so even though they're in heaven, they're aware of, that there's evil in the world. We will be aware of, I believe, of what's happening on planet Earth while in heaven. Uh, the saints are given garments to wear. I'm like, hallelujah. Like, I don't know about you, but shortly after I became a Christian, one of the questions I had, am I going to be naked in heaven? That's just me. Revelation chapter 6 says, no, I'm getting a garment. Um, so that may ease your anxiety or make them worse. I don't know, but it's there. And I hold this with a, like an open hand. I'm not dogmatic about this, but... Um, so, they have garments that they wear. Uh, these saints are able to express themselves. I don't know how disembodied spirits can shout, but God spoke the galaxies into existence. And so, we're capable of doing that. I, you know, my good friend, Shana, who died as a result of cystic fibrosis, uh, when I did her funeral... I, I made the statement at her funeral that, that Shauna is able to shout without being on oxygen. I, I believe that to be true. On, so, on some level, she was able to shout. We, as we, as we will go do a, we'll do a survey through Revel, the book of Revelation on what heaven is like, the saints are, they sing in heaven, even though they don't have physical bodies uh, at this point in time. And they're free to interact with with God. Uh, they're, they're able to, to worship Him. They, they're able to, uh, to talk to Him. They don't need to make an appointment with Him. They're like, hey God, can you carve something out on your schedule, on your calendar for me? No, they, they just cry out to Him. You know, how long, oh Lord? How long will you wait? Um, we will be almost free to be as fully human as we were created to be when we get to heaven. We will not experience, and this is next week's sermon, we will not experience what it means to fully be human until we experience a resurrection. But until then, like heaven is, 
you know, awesome. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Like Paul said, I, I know a man who was caught up uh, into, into the heavens, and what he saw, like, like human language couldn't, you know, like, couldn't do it justice, what he, what he experienced and what he had seen. But the heaven that is reality today is temporary. It's going to get better. And I'll talk about the better part to, uh, next, next Sunday. So I just want to talk about like, heaven today. When you breathe your last breath, if you're a follower of Jesus, what will, be, what will you experience? What will you, what, what will you see? What will you know? And here's my second point. Worship is and will always be the culture of heaven. Worship is and will always be the culture of wherever God's presence is. And so one day, a day is coming, where heaven and earth will be one that we will first experience a resurrection like Jesus did, and then he will resurrect this earth. I believe that is coming. I believe, I am I'm as sure that that is a reality that I will experience as I am the air that I'm breathing right now. And um, worship will be the culture of heaven. C.S. Lewis said this, he, he said this, he said, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but, comp- but completes the enjoyment. It is, uh, it is its appointed consummation. So what is he saying? He's saying that, that when we stand up and shout, when we, when we, like in a good way, like you watch a football game, you see an amazing play, you see this joy that you feel in your heart, what is that praise doing? It's completing this joy or complementing this joy that you feel in your heart, Right? Or in your being. Well, it's the same thing with, with worship. Uh, I'm reading this book titled Providence by John Piper, and he said something that was helpful. It's not going to be on the screen. I want to read it for you. Um, I, think it's, <laughs> I think this little paragraph is perfect marital counseling, premarital counseling, relationship counseling. I'm going to read it for you. God's, and he talks about worship, and, you know, is God, you know, you know, does he got an ego problem? You know, and so he's answering that question, and he, he makes this statement. God's self-exaltation is utterly different from all human self-exaltation. When humans exalt themselves, they call attention to something that can never satisfy the people they want to impress themselves. No mere human, no matter how exalted, can be the all-satisfying treasure for another human. Nor is such satisfaction or others even a typical human motive for self-exaltation. For humans, self-exaltation is typically a way of getting, not giving. Using people, not serving them. But it is otherwise with God. And he says something really important here. He says, in exalting himself, that is, in upholding and communicating his glory, God aims to, and since prayment to all who will have him as their supreme treasure... And since praise is the appointed consummation of such enjoyment, God is not indifferent to our praise. If he aims at our joy in him, he will aim at our praise. Joy is consummation. He will not limit our joy by discouraging our praise. I think that's so good. Like we are made for God. Like I, I say this a lot. Everything about us and our DNA, the fact that we bear the image of the living God, we were made to know him and to worship him. Like your joy and your satisfaction and your contentment cannot be experienced apart from a relationship with God. And uh, because we were made for him, that is our purpose. And so when it comes to the culture of heaven, 
Like, it is our joy maximized. Like, we get to do what we're wired to do. And don't think for a moment, like, how many of you are familiar with Tom and Jerry? Right? Don't think for a moment that you're going to play a harp on some cloud somewhere. Like, that is horrible. That would be hell. <laughs> um, one, I don't like harps. And two, anyway. So, so Revelation is, is about, like, what heaven's going to be like. And so I just want to go through and just talk about that. One, and Father reigns in heaven. He reigns in heaven. Um, you know, at the very beginning of, of Daniel, or not Daniel, Revelation chapter 1, we're introduced to, to the, the sovereignty of God. Like, the book of Revelation is written to encourage, it was written to encourage a suffering church, not to figure out who the Antichrist is. And I said last week, the book of Revelation is the book of Daniel's counterpart, New Testament counterpart. They kind of, I think they go hand in hand. And God the Father reigns in heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, uh, you know, we're, we're told that these angels that surround the throne of God, they, they worship him and they cry out and they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And we're told that these, these, these individuals called the 24 elders, they're, they're around the, the throne room and they lay down their crowns before God. And why do they do that? Because they recognize that, that all, all that they had experienced, all that they are is attributed to who God is. And they cry out and they sing a song, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I believe that we will experience that kind of worship in heaven. Like, like when my dad breathed his last breath and entered into the presence of God, when my father-in-law breathed his last breath and entered into the, prom- the, the, the presence of God, my grandmother and others, that's what they experienced. I can guarantee you that their first recourse was not to look for loved ones that had gone before them. Their first recourse was, who is, let me, let me see this God. I want to I see him. I want to I you know, experience him. Because that's like, when we read anything about heaven in the Bible, that is the experience. The other thing that we learn in chapter 5 of Revelation is God the Son is honored in heaven. I, I love, I mean, you know, if you've been here for even like a month, you know that I love Revelation, the Revelation chapter 5. That is, next to Romans chapter 8, Revelation chapter 5 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. I love it. It's, it's, if you picture it, and, and this is what we'll see, I believe, all of heaven is gathered, and there's this, there's a, the courtroom, you know, around, or the, the heavenly court, like before the throne of God is there, and there's this question in Revelation chapter 5 that's, that's asked, you know, who is worthy to open the scroll? Well, what scroll? It's the deed of creation. In that scroll is all of our redemptive hopes. In that scroll is, is the promise of redemption. And then John starts to weep because because if there's no one found worthy to open the scroll, then it's, then it's hell for all of us. No condemnation. I mean, no, no, no forgiveness, no redemption, only condemnation. And so uh, he weeps, and then an angel cries out. He asks him, or he says, weep no more. Behold, the lamb 
who was slain. He's a lion standing in, in the court of heaven. And the lamb who is a lion, who is Jesus, takes the scroll and he has the authority to open it. And all of heaven celebrates as a result. And they sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests and to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's next week's sermon, they'll reign on the earth. Later on in chapter 7, when the saints who were martyred for their faith, the saints who were overpowered by the Antichrist and by this beast that Daniel chapter 7 talks about, in chapter 7, they cry out in song, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why do they do that? Because, because their victory is found in Jesus. Like with, with God wanted Daniel and wants us to know through Daniel chapter 7 is that whatever beasts are threatening us, we need to know exactly what, what, what it is that they can possibly do to us. Like, what can they do to you? I asked that question last week. Like, kill you? Is that the end? Is that the end of your life? Like, what, what, what kind of... What can cancer or disease do to you? Rob you of oxygen in your lungs? Cause your heart to stop beating? Prohibit your brain from functioning? But what can it really do? Like these saints, they, they died. They died in chapter 7 of Revelation. They died horrible deaths. Horrible, violent, ugly deaths. And they sing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to him and to the Lamb. And then all of heaven celebrates and they cry out and then we'll experience this. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Like all this, that's Jesus, the book of Revelation. But that's, Jesus will be honored in heaven, but that's not all that's going to happen in heaven. We also learn that the Holy Spirit's sustaining power will be celebrated in heaven. Like I said this before, the Holy Spirit is not, in the midst of the Trinity, is not the bench warmer, like nobody knows what to do with him. Like, like, he's not the awkward family member everybody's afraid to talk to. Like He is the third member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All God. I, don't, you know, I can't wrap my mind completely around that. It's in the Bible. And he is active. And he is working. And he is a person. He is the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. And he will be celebrated in heaven also. In Revelation 12, we learn that the saints referred to in chapter 15 are those who conquered Satan, not by their might, but by, listen, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Like, they didn't get into a, a ring with Satan or the Antichrist or some world power or some dictator and duke it out with them. They didn't storm a Capitol building. They didn't, they, they didn't protest. How did they defeat you know, the evil of their day? By the blood of the Lamb that was not their own. They were purchased by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What's the word of their testimony? Jesus saved me. 
He redeemed me. He became sin for me. And and regardless of whether I have a good day or a bad day, my righteousness is perfect 100% all the time because Jesus' righteousness is perfect all the time. It is his righteousness that has become my righteousness. And we're told that they conquered the beast and its image. And they did so only because God sustained them through his spirit. I mean, that's, that's what's sustaining us now. I, I said last, I think I said this last week, that, that when, when God is in the business of always using his word and the proclamation of it along with the power of his spirit to generate life. But he's also using his, he also uses his word and the power of his spirit, the moving of his spirit to sustain us and to keep us. And so the Holy Spirit's sustaining power will be celebrated in heaven. In Revelation chapter 15, says, this is really cool, a little, you know, couple sentences here. It says, and, and they sing a note, or they they sing a, the song of Moses. So they sing this song. Um, the same song sung after Israel was delivered through the Red Sea when Pharaoh and his army was pursu- you know, pursued the Hebrews. We will sing this song again in Revelation chapter 15. This is what we will sing in heaven. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. You know what I, what I believe is going to happen in heaven? When we are in heaven, we are going to celebrate all, all that Jesus has done for us. Like, think about that. How many of you have, like, you've... You, had a conversation with another brother or sister in Christ, and you, as you're talking about what Jesus had done for you, did you not feel something well up in you, like in your soul and in your heart? You ever feel that? You ever experience that? How many of you have been outside the country before? How many of you have encountered another brother or sister in Christ outside the country before? How many of you were encouraged by that encounter? And how many, spoke, how many of you spoke the same language as that, of that person? Nobody. <laughs> I didn't. Well, one person. But I, like, when I was in Burma, um, and other, like, I was in Hong Kong one time, and I encountered a brother in Christ who saw my shirt. We didn't speak the same language. He just pointed to it, and like, I forget what he did, but I just knew. I knew he was a brother in Christ. My heart was stirred. My soul was stirred when I encountered him. The brothers and sisters in Christ that I have encountered in, in Myanmar, uh, my heart was always, was always stirred every time I encountered them. When we get to heaven, we're going to celebrate what Jesus had done and continues to do in our lives. We will hold up our cup and we'll say, hey, let me tell you about the time Jesus did this in my life. Let me tell you how he rescued me from sin. We will sing the song of Moses. Just as God was faithful in delivering Israel, so God will be faithful in sustaining our faith as we follow him. God is worshipped for bringing his children faithfully across the the celestial sea into his glorious presence. Your hope of getting to to heaven, your hope of inheriting the kingdom, it, it should solely rest in God and him alone.
And when we get there, it will not be because of your effort or your deeds that got you there. It will be solely because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for your sins, in your place. And when God pours out his wrath on the nations and destroys, um, destroys the, 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 uh, the you know, spiritual Babylon we've been talking about and that we see and are introduced to in the book of Daniel, we will sing this song also, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Like, I, you hear me mention every once in a while that Jesus, when he comes, he will balance the scales of justice. He'll balance the scales of justice. He, when he sets up his kingdom, he will make all that is wrong with this world right. And we will celebrate that. We will celebrate it. And then here's the other thing. I know, guys, this sounds weird, but there will be a wedding in heaven. And guess what? You're not going to be the groom, right? Like, we are the bride. Now, on, uh, weddings on earth are, are, well, one, they point to this great wedding that's going to happen. We're going to participate in it. But weddings on earth are a little different than the wedding that we're going to experience in heaven. Like, weddings on earth, guys, like, you know, if you're ever going to get married, if you're thinking about getting married, if, if you have been married, you already know this if you've been married, like people didn't show up for you. Like you're standing, you know, the reason why you come to the front at the very beginning is because nobody cares. <laughs> they play music for the bride. Like, and, and everybody stands up, not for the guy, but for the bride. But in heaven, everybody's going to stand up, not because of what the bride looks like in, of, in, in the sense that she accomplished these deeds on her, on her own part. They will, all of heaven will rejoice because of what Jesus did for the bride. We, our beauty in heaven will not be because of anything we've done. Our beauty in heaven will be solely because of what Jesus did. But there's a wedding coming, and all weddings point to that wedding. The song that we will sing, all of heaven will sing, is hallelujah in, in chapter 19. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That's us. So if you're wondering, man, what, what is my experience going to be in heaven? We read all about it in the, in the book of Revelation. Revelation is meant to encourage suffering Christians, not encourage you to build a bomb shelter or to hide, but to be on mission. And while on mission, though there will be threats and though there will be dangers, to engage the mission of God knowing what your inheritance is. And your inheritance is a kingdom that is received by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Like, I don't know about you, but I, I hold on to this. This is, this is part of what I think holding on to the gospel and preaching, to the, preaching the gospel to your own heart involves. Recognizing, look, man, this is what I'm going to receive. I am going to receive the kingdom. And it's going to not just be temporary. It will be forever, forever, and ever. That is mine. That is mine. And so when I'm staring at disease in my family or, or, or death, or, or when things are not going the way that I had dreamed, I hold on to that. You want to know why Daniel chapter 7, verse 18 and verse 27 are in Daniel chapter 7? 
For Daniel to hold on to that, it makes your suffering and what threatens you dim in comparison. It shrinks. It, COVID, cancer, death, violence, crazy politics, all of that, all of that dwarfs when you compare it to the grandeur of the kingdom of God that is for the people of God that we will inherit. And just hold on to that. Your heart and, your, and, and the fickleness of, of who we are will, will tempt you to, to question that, will, will tempt you to cave into your fear. You've got to hold on to this. I mean, and Daniel, he's not like, I love how the Bible is so brutally honest about us and about the people of God because in verse 28, <laughs> this is how it ends. In Daniel chapter 7, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed thee, and my color changed, and I kept the matter to my heart. Like, I, this, this is crazy. You know? This is alarming. This is scary. Daniel was 100% human. He dealt with some of the same anxieties, if not more, than we do. I mean, the guy was like castrated when he was a teenager, forced to live in a place that was not his own. His own. He, was, he, he, he was constantly under threat. And he held on to these promises. This is why I think James chapter 4 is in our Bibles, verses 13 through 14. It says this. Let's read it together. Ready? Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. How quick is a mist or vapor? <laughs> That's it, and it's gone. How many of you are um, older than... I made, a, I made the mistake of asking 80, but... 60, how many of you are older than 60? 70, 80, okay, 70. Uh, how fast has life gone by? For those of my brothers who are, uh, yeah, really fast, really fast. I, you know, God may bless you with 70 years. He may bless you with 80 years. He may bless you with only 30 years, maybe even less. But our life is a vapor, and, and with the, the, the encouragement from the Word of God is, Live your life wisely. Set your eyes on, and your mind and your heart on things that matter. Recognize that your life is a vapor, so use it well. Like we were made to know God and to worship him. That doesn't start in heaven. That starts now. now here, here are a few points about heaven, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Here's what heaven is not. You ready? Heaven is not a place designed to give you delight instead of damnation, family reunions instead of friendless suffering, perfect health instead of physical anguish, and harmony instead of horror only. Heaven is a place where delight, reunions, perfect health, and harmony will all be enjoyed, but they will be enjoyed only because the obstacles that, are, that hinder our worship of God and our enjoyment of God today will be removed. Here's another thing, ready? Heaven is not heaven because you have family there. Heaven is not heaven because you don't have suffer, suffering there. Heaven is not heaven because 
all the things that scare us on this side of eternity will be removed on that side of eternity. Heaven is heaven because when we get there, we get the face of God, we get Jesus. That's what makes heaven heaven. This is why the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, let's, let's read this together, ready? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen? Like, and and the, when Christ appears, <laughs> then you will also appear with him in glory. I'm talking about that next week. Like, like, heaven is awesome. It's great. It's fantastic. But it gets better. Like, there's coming a day when heaven and earth will be one. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, and this is, um, this is when we'll go into our time of communion so you can get your communion cups out. If you haven't gotten one, there's, they're on the back table there. But in, in Hebrews chapter 13, I love this this passage. It says this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. What was that suffering? It was the cross. Outside the gate, not safe. Outside the gate is dangerous. Outside the gate is Golgotha. Jesus went outside the gate. He took up his cross on your behalf and on my behalf after, had living, after he lived the life that we could never live, a perfect life. In total obedience to the law of God, he lived. And he went outside the gate to die for us. Hours before he was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And he told them, or showed them, that the Passover meal had pointed to him all along. That from that very, the very first Passover meal, after God had rescued the Hebrew people from the bondage of Egypt and Pharaoh, all of that was meant as a, as a picture, as a metaphor of what, Jesus would, or what God would do through his son Jesus. Jesus held up the bread and he said, this is my body and it's going to be broken for you. I will be pierced for you. I will be crushed for your iniquities. By my stripes, you will be healed. That's from Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And he said, every time you gather together, I want you to take this bread and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's do this together. The best part of Hebrews 13 is not just that Jesus went outside the gate to purchase a bride for himself, that's us, that he died for us, that he went to the cross on our behalf. But it goes on to say, that therefore, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
when Jesus held up the cup as one of many cups, he held up this cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to shed my blood for you. I'm doing it to inaugurate the new covenant. What is the new covenant? The new covenant is God's promise that he will remove our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, that he will enable us the ability to, to love him and to obey him and to find our hope and our life in him. And Jesus said, I'm going to the cross to make that a reality, to make that possible. And, uh, and in, uh, in doing that, I am, also, I am also making it a reality that you will receive the kingdom, that you will inherit the kingdom, that all that is mine will be yours. And he said, so every time you gather together, I want you to drink this in remembrance of me. So let's drink together. We have no lasting city. I hold on to that. I don't know what anxieties you're experiencing today. I don't know. I don't know what beast you're staring in the face right now. But hold on to the reality that here we have no lasting city. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. And um, and what Jesus said is really, really true. Some of you, they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. That is, a, that is a promise for you and for me. My friend Shana, she signed her emails, every email, even when she was having horrible days, she signed her emails, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Shana, I was telling somebody after the first service, I didn't share this with the first service, but Shana I, like we met in high school, Kurt, her husband, or, you know, they got married obviously after high school, but they eventually got married. Kurt was the guy who gave me my first Bible. That's how I met Shauna. Um, and she would, uh, when I entered into Bible college, I could barely write. I had uh, about a sixth grade uh, reading level. I think about an eighth grade math level. I had to relearn everything. Shauna edited every paper I wrote probably for the first two or three years of Bible college. She would sign her emails, great is thy faithfulness. And um, even though she had cystic fibrosis, I remember after she received her double lung transplant, she did survive the night and she lived for another two and a half years. I remember going to her 30th birthday party where she was able to blow out candles for the first time in, since she was a child. And then I remember when things started to take a turn for the worse. And she still signed her emails, great is thy faithfulness. How could she do that? What enabled her to do that? Because she was convinced that we don't have a lasting city here. That hers was the kingdom. And when she received that kingdom, she would not have to struggle with blowing out candles anymore. She would not have to struggle with singing praises to her God anymore. This, what Daniel wrote in, Dan, in chapter 7, verse 18 and verse 27, is a big deal. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the promises that are here. God, if there's anyone in this room who does not yet know you because they do not know your son, 
God, I pray that they would hear these words, that salvation is found in no one else but the name of Jesus. That they would hear these words from your, from your Holy Scripture, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that you, O oh God, raised your son from the grave, that all who do that will be saved, not just because of something they said, but something they really believe in their heart to be true. And if there's anyone in this room, God, I pray that before they leave here, they will give their life to you. They will surrender to you. They will find their righteousness in your son, period, and not in anything that they are able to do. And for the rest of us, whatever beast is staring us in the face, whatever anxiety is filling our hearts, God, give us the strength through the power of your spirit to cling to this truth that all the people of God will inherit your kingdom forever, forever, and ever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.